Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received its just penalty, how Okay, this is almost like a haunting question we must deal with. How will we escape if we neglect a great salvation? After it was, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, was confirmed to us by those that heard, he's talking about the apostles, God also testifying with them, who? The apostles and Jesus. Both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Father, speak to us. I pray that you would help me. Pray that you would fill my mind with your words and your words alone. I pray that you would help me articulate coherently what the Spirit has to say to the church. I thank you for it, Father. And the church shouted, Amen. 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 You can be seated this morning. I want to speak for the next few moments on what I've entitled The Drift. The Drift. The Drift, or a drift, means to move slowly without intention. I don't know about you, but I find the book of Hebrews quite fascinating. The word Hebrew itself, in the Hebrew, language means to cross over or to pass through. It carries, the word Hebrew carries the idea of going through a difficulty. Their language, the Hebrew language, when you use this word, the Hebrew word, it means crossing a road. Crossing over a river. We know Israel is very well known for water crossings. God's dealing with it before Israel was a nation, it was a man called Abraham. And our Bible says that Abraham came beyond the river Euphrates. And then there we know is the Red Cross, the Red Sea crossing at the Exodus. And then there's the Jordan River crossing at the entrance into the Promised Land. You see, when you follow this through Scripture, then we understand why the Egyptians called them Hebrews. It means ones who came from beyond the river. Abraham obviously being the ultimate Hebrew. He carried a nation in his loins, a Hebrew nation, a nation of crossing over people. But it was Joshua who released an iconic challenge to the children of Israel as they were preparing to cross into the promised land. And he declared to them, it's time to put away 
the gods and the idols of our fathers that we have served in regions beyond the river. And he declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll not worship the way we worship on this side of the river, but we're crossing over to another side. We're crossing over into an inheritance. We're crossing over into a river. When we get on that river, we're not going to worship those dead idols. We're not going to worship that anymore. We're going to worship the living God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The symbolism is, is striking. The symbolism is we're leaving the old worship behind. We're leaving that, that old worship experience built on rituals and ideas and thoughts of men. We are moving beyond idolatry and we are moving. We're crossing over to the other side and now we will worship the Lord our God. Only we will worship him. So this, this book of Hebrews was obviously written literally to the Hebrews. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say, so it, it, it's, it's one, of those, one of those epistles or letters in the Bible that there's always seemed to be controversy around who wrote it. Early church fathers believed Paul the Apostle wrote it. And those that came along later said, no, possibly one of his disciples, you know, like, you know, Barnabas or, 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 or someone like that, that, that Paul, Luke, somebody like that may have written it. But I personally lean toward because of the terminologies and, and the revelation that it carries, because very few, even in the Bible, and even though we know the Bible is completely inspired by God, may, move, but may men that are moved on by the Holy Spirit, that we understand when you read Hebrews, it has weight, it has substance, it has depth and revelation to it, which means not just anybody could write it. So personally, just bear with me personally, I, and I'm going to refer to this today because I really believe that Paul the Apostle was the author. Now, it's not that important who wrote it. What's really important is who's going to live it. Who's going to experience the revelation that it carries? So it's written to Hebrews But we know that it is also written to all believers because Hebrews were believers. They were Jewish believers. They were those who had come out of Judaism and became followers of Christ. Today we would say they became Christians. So they became followers of Christ. So Paul is writing to a group of believers who came out of Judaism, they're first-generation believers, but Paul is not addressing the first generation. Paul is addressing the second generation. So this is important. So Hebrews then, because it means crossing over, is written to anyone who has crossed over. Anyone that has crossed from darkness to light, doubt to faith, from shadows to substance, from a hallowed place to a holy place. Those that have crossed over into an inheritance. You do understand when you come out of darkness into light and, and you, you're no longer lost but you're found and you become a child of God, a son of God or a woman of God, that you embrace an inheritance, that there is an inheritance of waiting for you. God has something spiritually dynamic on the other side of that river that you're crossing over to. It's yours. It's your inheritance. We know by the children of Israel, again, symbolism, that when you cross over something on the other side is an inheritance. You may have to fight hell and high water to get it. The enemy may be occupying it today, but if you'll take it by force, you can have it. 
So the book of Hebrews is fascinating. One, one, one Paul reveals to us is the superiority of Christ. It's a great biblical truth. It's one that the church is losing because if you don't have the fear of God, you don't understand the superiority of Christ. What does that mean? Why, why would Paul even take time to talk about that? Because you see, he, he was talking to Hebrews. Those that had come out of Judaism into Christianity. And he wanted them to understand something. So what you have come out of. Even if it is wrapped in religion and ritual that is holy. Jesus is superior. He, 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 he's, he's, he's trying to explain to them. Not the first generation. The second generation. The first generation understood how they were in bondage to the law. To ritual. To sacrifice. But Jesus came not to do away with that, but he came to fulfill that. <laughs> Jesus is so confident in who he is. He didn't even have to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. Jesus wasn't afraid of it. Jesus said, here, I'll step up in it and I'll fill it all. I'll make a dead thing come alive. So, so Paul is writing because the second generation do not yet have the revelation of the superiority of Christ. What does that mean? That means that he is greater than the law. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than the, the angels. As well as he is greater than religious systems, structures, and sacrifice. But the warning comes. Uh, the warning comes to this generation because Paul wants them to understand. He warns them, listen, listen, don't you dare turn back. Don't you dare turn back to religion, forgetting the deep richness of your great salvation. I know it's hard for us to comprehend, but you got to understand when something has been pushed into a generation so deeply, and they they were not taught the things their forefathers came out of, and they understood the death grip that the law had on them. Don't misunderstand me. They respected it. They respected where they came from. They respected the historic view of God dealing with them as a people. But they have found freedom in Christ. They have found freedom in Christ. He 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 fulfilled everything that the law promised and couldn't give them. Jesus came and gave it to them. Now we have a generation that is being raised up in the fullness of an inheritance called salvation. And you can tell by the text Paul is concerned. He is writing to a professing second generation believers. They profess Christ. They're second generation believers. Watch this. If you could just read the whole book of Hebrews today, we don't have time. What you would see then is that Paul's concern is that the second generation is not showing the same zeal for the gospel as their parents did. They have lost their spiritual hunger. They have lost their passion to embrace truth. See, there is always a danger of a drift when you move from one generation. Because the first generation is the one that came out of hell. The first generation is the one that came out of bondage and darkness and looked like they had no hope in their life. But they found freedom in Christ. And Christ brought transformation, freedom and deliverance 
into their life. But the next generation just came up knowing there is a salvation. The first generation, though, it wasn't just a salvation. It was a great salvation. I was dead, but now I'm... So Paul's concern is that they have been caught in the drift. If, if you study the entire book of Hebrews, there, there, there are several themes in it. And one of those themes is the losing of your faith and moving into apostasy. Apostasy, the word itself means to fall from faith. When you say somebody is an apostate, you mean they have fallen from the faith. They have lost their revelation of salvation. This is just another thing in life they deal with. Being saved. Or not being saved. Being right with God and not being right with God. You know, in other places in the scripture, Paul talks about the shipwreck of faith. It's, 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 it's when faith, not, 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 not living faith. Like living faith is believing God for, you know, your rent and your, and your car payment. I'm talking about a body of truth in which you look through the lenses of and it determines how you live. The message of salvation should cause us to live a certain way. I'm saved. I really believe that when we struggle with our worship, it's because we have lost the revelation of salvation. Have we lost the reality that we don't belong in here, that we don't belong in his presence, we don't belong in heaven, we don't, oh, see, we, we have gotten so spiritually cocky that we think somehow God, oh, oh, that God owes us heaven. My friend, we don't belong to any of it, none of it belongs to us, any of it that we get, we get by grace. Okay, I got to pull this back together because I'm all over the place. This, this is what Paul, I believe, was referring to in, 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 in Ephesians 4.14 when he says this, as a result, we are no longer to be children. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about the church maturing. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by the trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. But then he goes on to tell, tell his son Timothy in the faith, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, y'all listen to this. Now, the Spirit expressly says, in other words, the Spirit says with urgency that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed instead of hearing the gospel, they give heed. Instead of hearing gospel preachers, they give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4. He says, for the time will come which it has now come. The time will come when they will not all endure. They want, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears from the truth, and they will be turned aside to fables. In other words, don't preach the gospel. Tell me a story. Can I declare this prophetically? And I am not a prophet, and I am not close to being a prophet, but I have come to declare this, that get ready, because the winds and the waves are picking up 
steam and a storm is brewing. Paul said the waves and the winds are blowing. He said, and if we are not mature and we are not equipped and we are not empowered, that we will go with every wind and every wave. But I come to tell you today, you don't have to be one blowing in the wind. You can be one that has an anchor. Is this making anybody uncomfortable? Doctrines of demons are getting ready to manifest at a whole nother level. Doctrines of demons. Just so you understand, doctrines of demons are not theology about demons. That's demonology. Doctrines of demons are things demons teach. How do demons teach? The same way Holy Ghost teaches. He anoints false teachers and preachers to say what he wants them to say. And it is so crafty and it is so close to the truth that many will fall for it because it does not make you feel convicted. It makes you feel comfortable. You walk away, man. I feel better about myself today. Lord, last week at Fresh Start, I walked away feeling kind of rough, but I feel pretty good today. That was a good message right there, man. I appreciate you telling me how wonderful I am and how much God loves me and how I can go ahead and sin and go to heaven because hell, hell doesn't exist anymore and God's only love and all of that stuff. I'm just so thankful that you just don't preach a full gospel. You just gave me a little bit of a good gospel. So I feel good about that. Matter of fact, I felt so good about that. I'm going to come back next week so you can make me feel good about my sinful, bound up, broken life. And the enemy doesn't have to look too far to find a willing preacher. It's got to, all it's got to do is draw a crowd and fill the bank. I can't get no help up in there. People of God, you better ask God to give you a spirit, a greater spirit of discernment. Because these messages are beginning to propagate and they're going to sound so good and they're going to feel so right. But you've got to stop. You've got to stop determining what truth is by how it makes you feel. If it's in the book, it's true. Hmm. Paul is saying, listen. He's saying, listen to what you have heard so you won't drift. The gospel message has not changed. There is no new revelation. You need to understand this. Because too many fall and pray to, what is it, YouTube, YouTube theologians. I knew it was in there somewhere. It's got to get a little deeper. You see, the truth will always be backed by the Holy Spirit. False doctrine will always be backed by demonic spirits. I don't know if we're getting the depth of this. When you're in a place or you're listening to someone that stands behind a pulpit and releases something, it's got a spirit behind it. It's either the spirit of truth or it's the spirit of deception. 
There is no middle road. You can't have it both ways. Too many want it to both ways. They want a little truth and they want a little deception. Paul is concerned. This, this, this generation is in a place. That if not careful, they're going to get caught in the drift. A drift is defined as a, as a deviation of a vessel from its intended or expected course as a result of currents and winds. It means to be moved along as a result of an outside force having no control of your direction and destination. This is the drift. The drift. In the, in the 13th chapter of Hebrew, Paul makes a statement. He says this, talking about this book, this book of Hebrews. He says this is a word of exhortation. He said, this is a word, this book of Hebrews is a word of exhortation. You need to understand what exhortation is. Exhortation in the Greek culture was a military term. It is what a commanding officer would do where he would send his troops into battle. He would gather them together. They would put on their battle array and they would get in the order in which they were to go into battle and the commanding officer would walk among them. He would look them in the eyes and he would say, get ready. We're going to battle. He would look at them and say, son, straighten your back, plant your feet. Look your enemy in the face and fight with bravery. If you do, you will taste victory. Paul says this book is a word of exhortation. For the church, it is a call to battle. It's for us to slip out of this delusion of some type of religion and, 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 and experience that God has nothing to do with. And come into the reality of the moment of what the kingdom of God is here on the earth to do. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we are encouraged, we are exhorted not to give up on our faith, but to believe and continue to believe for the fullness of all God has for us. But here in this text, he says, please pay close attention. Pay close attention to what you have heard so you will not drift, so you will not be moved along by these popular teachings because they will be more and more popular. They're going to be more and more popular. I'm telling you the, the, the work of, see, 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 this, this is the whole thing. This is the whole thing that we got to lay hold of, that we have to understand we're coming into a season. This is what I'm trying to prepare us for. We're coming into a season that is going to be unprecedented about, about what truth is. It's literally going to split the church down the middle. You're going to have those that believe a, a level uh, uh, and holding on to the anchor of truth, and then you're going to have another level that's going to go a whole other direction with this book. And I guarantee you this book will be the, the one that they come up with will be the itching ear book. But this book will be the book that gets you into heaven. Well, well, look, 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 look what Paul says in, in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both short and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. This is a living hope. 
truth is not some dogma. Truth is a person. Jesus is truth. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I want you to understand this because this is symbolism that Paul is sharing with us here. He's sharing with us that, 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 that just as an anchor grounds a ship to keep it from going adrift, so does our living hope in Jesus keep us safe, keep us secure in our faith. So my friend, anything that lowers and demeans the lordship and the superiority of Jesus Christ bringing him down to be nothing more than a spiritual man not born of a virgin just a man, a good man a good teacher my friend you better run as quick as you can See, we have been given an anchor, church. We, we have been given an anchor. We have been given a living and a lasting hope. It is sure and it is unshakable. So when everything around us begins to shift and to shake, Jesus in his lordship will always remain. He is an anchor of truth. You know what's so awesome about having Jesus as your anchor? It's our anchor does not go down. I don't drop an anchor into the swirl of all the antichrist stuff going on and the swirl that is in the earth right now. I don't drop my anchor in that. I don't put my hope in that. I don't say, please, can I, can I, can I find some stability somewhere? Yes, you can. But the anchor isn't dropped. It's no, our anchor doesn't go down. It goes up. It goes up into the holy place. It goes up where Jesus sits today, ever interceding for the saints. It goes up. I want you to know my hope is not in man. My hope is in Jesus. Whoever prays. Whoever stands before the Father. Y'all ain't hear what I'm talking about. You ain't seeing what I'm seeing yet. So Paul's concern was that they're going to get in the drift. They're going to get in the drift. How many churches are filled with people today in the drift? Slowly moving away from the message of salvation. They've lost their passion. So much so that they no longer give attention to their salvation. You, you, you know, life, life is not a lake. Life is a river. Life, let me say it like this even to go deeper. Life in Christ is not a lake. It's a river. So you can get on your inner tube and drift in a lake. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to exert any energy. You don't have to give it any effort. You'll start here and end up over there. But life... And our life in Christ is not a lake. It's a river. And you don't float in rivers. You navigate rivers. See, it's not possible for us as, as children of God to sit still and float. We just can't float in, in the same old place and just float. We're either moving toward Jesus or we're moving away from Jesus. This is your position this morning, men and women of God. You're either moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus. No other option. There's no in between. You can't just be still.
Those who do not pay attention to this great salvation will drift away. If you haven't caught it yet, drifting away is the opposite of drawing near. Without attention, our condition will deteriorate. Please don't confuse church attendance. with giving attention to your salvation. Oh, that will be, that, 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 that's like a byproduct. Church attendance, discipleship, prayer, these are byproducts. We should do them and we should do them passionately and consistently. But where's the intimacy? Where's the fire? Where's the burning? Where is the part of me emotionally and spiritually that craves the house? Craves the work? Craves the things of the spirit? Can I be bold this morning and just say, if there is not some craving in us for more than where we at, maybe we're not even saved. Because salvation isn't just a decision to follow him. Salvation, our Bible says, through the mouth of Jesus himself. You must be born again. In other words, you can't live in Jesus the same way you did before you were saved. There's something in you that comes alive, and that life must be fed. Lord, help the preach. Really, what Paul is dealing with here is the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics says is within a system, nothing remains the same, change is constant. If we leave the system alone over time, it will deteriorate. In other words, everything, will, everything left to itself deteriorates. It doesn't get better. This is why evolution fails every time. Because man doesn't evolve into goodness, man dissolves into darkness. So a salvation left to itself. Well, I go ahead and live any life I want to live. Falls to pieces. It's caught in the drift. Is this helping anybody in this room? So the haunting question that we looked at earlier, it's, it's, it's how... Paul's trying to save a generation. He's warning them. So here, the question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let me just help some of you right now so you will know. Do you believe you can lose your salvation? Yes. And I know that's unpopular in most of the church today, even Pentecostalism, that we don't want nobody to think that they can lose their salvation. But I have come to say you can lose your salvation if you leave it alone and let it float down the river. I know that's not popular, and I know we like the other teaching because it's much easier to navigate through life thinking everybody that ever got saved is going to heaven. And it is, a, it, is, it, is, it is a difficult thing to taste. It is a very hard thing to taste to think that there are people that we love that have died and died without God and stepped into hell. It is hard. I'm not here to champion it. It's not a funny thing. It is heavy. It is weighty. It is difficult to swallow. But nonetheless, the truth is the truth, my friend. And if we, you cannot live wrong and die right. 
I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I'm just saying, man, if there's sin in our life, we're going to find a place of confession and repentance and weep before the God, the God of grace and mercy that he will redeem us and bring us back into fellowship. My friend, this, this thing, like with this kind of preaching that where you can go to heaven no matter what, if you have ever said a prayer, then that's all you've got to do. No matter how you live, it's irrelevant. My friend, this is going to fill hell up. I am not happy about it. Matter of fact, what I heard the Holy Spirit say today, I need you to go preach like a dying man to dying people. I need you to understand something right now. This is the real deal. This gospel is not some fantasy thing. The eternity is not some fantasy thing. Heaven and hell are not fantasy places. They are reality. And we're playing around with the salvation like it's no big deal. Ah, so Paul, Paul is warning. He's warning us, church, that one of our great temptations will be to neglect the powerful message, the most powerful message ever given, that we have a great salvation. It's just a salvation, but a great salvation. It's God's saving revelation in Christ, in Christ alone. Don't believe them. There's no other way to the Father. There's no other name by which you can be saved. Oh, you're so inclusive. Yes, I am. He's the only way. If they tell you anything else, run. He's the only. Oh, that doesn't sound fair. My friend, life is not fair. If life was fair, we would all be dead. If we all got what we deserve, we would be dead. But there's a God up in heaven full of mercy and grace. There's a God up in heaven who came up with a plan called salvation. There's a God in heaven that said, I'll create them. I know they'll be broken, but I'll make a way to restore them. And I'll restore them to my son, Jesus. And when I restore them, they will rise up and be men and women of God in the earth. And they will declare by no other name, my man must be saved. Jesus. 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 <sighs> See, apparently Paul was was under the impression impression that they were contemplating turning from revivalism to relativism. That's not the terminology he would use then, that's the terminology we would use today. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relationship to culture, society, and historical context and are not absolute. Relativism basically says all knowledge, all truth, and all morality are not absolute. In other words, you can have what's right for you is right for you and what's right for me is right for me. In other words, there is no standard of absolute. There's nothing that says this is right and this is wrong. There's nothing that says don't do this, do this. There's no absolute. It's relativism. It has crept into our nation Secularly, and now it's creeping into our nation spiritually. It began in our government, now it's moving into the church. We got this thing backwards. What's in the church ought to be moving into government. Paul's concerned. They're losing the revelation of their great salvation. They're losing this thing right now. He said they're losing it. He said they're turning. They're, they're trading revivalism for relativism. Revivalism is the doctrine of revival. Revivalism, the doctrine of revival, which, 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 which is that, that believers living should live at a high level of zeal and intensity for Jesus and for an intensity of truth. 
the gospel of the message of the kingdom of God. He said, the, 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 the revivalists are people that are born out of darkness, brought into light, and they understand the power of the gospel to change lives and to bring solutions. They understand it brought them to place of transformation and reformation. And so therefore they are revivalists because they believe wherever they take that, change can happen. Situations can be reversed. But if you fall into relativism, then you think everything's okay anyway. What's the big deal? What's the big battle? Let the church stay within its four walls and go ahead and have church. It doesn't matter. Have your little revival. Be passionate about God. It doesn't matter. That's what relativism tells revivalists to do. But a true revivalist will kick relevation in the head. And said, no, I'm not bowing to that because I'm in love with Jesus and I want to go to heaven and spend eternity in Jesus. So I will bow to truth. I will live a life built on absolutes. Relativism doesn't know absolutes. Unless you think, how long have I been preaching? Lest you think I'm just up here flapping my jaws and I don't know what I'm talking about. There was a recent nationwide survey taken by Barnard Research Group of Americans and, and, and they asked him some questions to see if they had a biblical worldview. What they found out was, and I don't have numbers of how many there was, but the, 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 they determined that only 4% of Americans have any idea how to take the core beliefs of the Bible and use them to create a meaningful life. Now, this is American. It's not Christians. Don't get confused. Americans are not, you know, not all Americans are Christians. Far from it, my friend. If the rapture were to take place today, there will be more people go to heaven. Or I, I, let me say this, there'll be, there'll be less people going to heaven than going to hell. Oh, yeah. Only 4% have any idea. It doesn't mean they do it. It's that they have any idea how to do it. Then they, then they did the same survey with born again. They're the ones that put quotation marks on it. On born again believers in America. And you know what it came back as? A dismal 9%. They're telling me that only 9% of the people in this room have any idea how to take the truths that are in this word that are absolutes and create a life out of it. I don't know if that's true or not for this group, but I don't know. So let's find out. Let me ask you the same questions they ask. I'll try to move quickly. I know I'm, 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 some of you are getting very bored. But watch this. I'm going to ask the question. Here, here's the answer, yes or no. I want you to shout the answer. Don't wait on the person next to you to give you the answer. I would tell you there is no wrong answer, but there is. Are you ready? Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Yes. Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule today? Yes. Is salvation a gift from God and it cannot be earned? Yes. Is Satan real? Yes. Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his faith in Christ with other people? Yes. Is the, Bible the, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? If you truly believe that, then you have a biblical worldview. So what's the problem? We got to live like we believe. I'm okay with shouting about it, but somewhere along the way, walk into a dark, delusional, deceptive world and tell them the truth. Somebody shout yes. Oh, I've got so much, but I'm going to see if I can wrap this up. 
See, a true revivalist will not just live at the level of a salvation experience. They will push toward the great salvation. The great salvation to the full extent of the revelation of all that comes with our salvation. That's what Pastor Jessica did this morning. She pushed us to pull on the gospel. Pull on the gospel. What are you talking about? I'm talking about not only does this gospel say I'm saved by Jesus, but this gospel says I'm healed by Jesus. This gospel says I'm delivered by Jesus. This gospel says I'm blessed by Jesus. This gospel says I'm favored by Jesus. This gospel says I'm accepted in the beloved by Jesus. While the church is busy giving out some soft-soaked gospel, the world is waiting on a great gospel. Don't give me something that doesn't break sin off my life. Don't give me something that leaves me in my pain, leaves me in my defeat, leaves me in my brokenness. Give me something that'll make me whole. Gives me something that makes me not want to drink anymore. Give me something that makes me not want to do drugs anymore. Give me something that I'm tired of living a selfish life. I'm tired of it being all about me. I'm ready to take a cross and carry it. Live for something bigger than this life. Oh, this great gospel carries transformation. It carries reformation. You see, the whole purpose of our text today is Paul is trying to validate this great salvation. Oh, let me see if I can wrap this up and put this in, kind of pull it together. Lord, help the preacher. So Paul says, okay, let me get this right. You're thinking about leaving revivalism. And going into relativism, where everything's easy, nothing's controversial. These are the people that say the mission of the church is not to save America. No way. They got a, they got a point there. Our mission is not to save America. But if we do what the gospel says, America will be saved. I'm not mental to save America. I'm not mental to bring revival to America. Because revival is the only hope of America. But, but he's looking at the people here that are toying. Maybe we should leave the revivalism part because it's getting really hard. And they're really starting to demand a lot of things of us. And it's really getting kind of deep in there. And, and I'd rather have something that's more inclusive and that's nicer and not controversial. I would rather have that. And so I'm thinking about leaving revivalism and going into relativism. Well, what, what, what am I trying to say? What, 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 I, what I'm trying to say is that Paul is trying to get this people that are struggling, that are thinking about going back into ritual, religion. Rules so they know exactly where their salvation is. If I follow the rules, if I'm religious, if I do everything the false prophet tells me to do. It will be, you say, why in the world would somebody do that? It's easy. I had a great revelation. It's easy. No, that's the revelation. It's easy. It's easy. Who doesn't like easy? It's much easier to have a relationship built on rules than it is to have a relationship built on righteousness. Somebody needs to tweet that. I said it's much easier 
build a relationship on rules because then at least I know where I am because I'm checking the boxes. But when I have a relationship built on righteousness, I understand there is nothing I can do to be accepted before the Father, except before the righteousness of Christ goes before me, covers me. Unless I understand the righteousness of Christ brings me into a perfect relationship with the Father. And then I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I can't set it on a shelf and hope it gets me into heaven. I got to work, not for it, but I got to work on it. So, so Paul is going through all of that. And he says, the law of Moses was delivered by angels. He said, was not this law of Moses? That's what they're going to go back to. Was not this delivered by angels? And it proved, he says, to be reliable That when it is disobeyed, those who disobey received a just penalty. This law, given by angels, when obeyed, brought you into a relationship with God, but nobody ever kept it all but Jesus. He said, why do you want to go back to that? Because it carries a penalty with it. That when you don't keep it, you're going to be judged for falling short. Why do you want to go back to that? Do not neglect such a great salvation. He said, don't neglect such a great salvation. For he says, this salvation has to be declared by Jesus himself. Not the angels. Not Moses. Not the prophets. But Jesus himself. Jesus has confirmed that this great gospel, this gospel that takes the sinner, brings him into repentance, fills him with the Holy Ghost, brings transformation, gives him a new life, a new creation he becomes in Christ Jesus. He said, oh, it's a great salvation. How can you neglect it? And he tries to bring confirmation to it. He says, listen, it was confirmed by Jesus. And it was confirmed by the apostles who heard him. And it was confirmed by God working with the apostles with signs and wonders and miracles. What he was trying to do, he was, Paul was trying to show them the validity of the great gospel. Oh, yes, it was angels in, in the law of Moses that, 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 that took care of that law. But this is superior. This is a great salvation. This is a salvation preached by Jesus. This is a salvation preached by the apostles. This is the salvation that God out of heaven confirmed the word with signs, wonders, and miracles. I have come to declare the supernatural still validate the gospel. That's why God's getting ready to reveal himself in a supernatural way. He is going to validate this salvation. Everybody stand all over this building. I'm not finished. No one be, please. 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 Normally at this time, I might say something like, someone's eternity hangs in the balance, but today I will change that. Someone's eternity hangs in the balance. Church, we must take the gospel must be taken more serious. We must shake off those that say repentance is outdated. People are basically good anyway. God would never send anyone to hell. He's too loving. He will not judge us. 
The cross is too heavy and bloody and messy. Please don't talk about it. The, 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 the problem with not teaching truth is we can't believe what we don't know. What you do with it is not my burden to bear. Even though I would grieve today if you would leave this room not ready for eternity. How shall we escape? Escape what? We all know there's two sides to the gospel. There's judgment and there's mercy. If we leave here time and step into eternity without God, there is no mercy. There is only judgment. See, he said, listen, if, if disobeying the law puts you in a place of punishment and judgment, if we neglect this great gospel, how shall we escape it? See, I believe that the gospel is the solution for every problem. America, the land that I love, is drowning in the cesspool of relativism. And the only solution is the church in revival who understands the value of the gospel. And the reason I believe the gospel is the answer to every solution is I believe every problem in humanity is rooted in sin. For you this morning, what are you going to do with your sin? going to just live with it and deal with it and let it wreck your life or are you going to bring it to Jesus let him wash it cleanse it cover it we are in a time where we don't have to deal with judgment and punishment we can have forgiveness mercy make heaven our home why am we neglect such a great salvation? There's three types of people in this room. There are those who have already rejected the gospel. There are those that have received the gospel. And there are those that have neglected the gospel. You've treated it like it's nothing. but it cost heaven everything. And I think one of the reasons we do this is because we have pounded the fact that it is a free gift and it is. You cannot earn it on any level. It's too great. The Father thought it. The Son bought it. The Spirit brought it. Man doesn't have his hands on it on any direction except to reach out and say, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Have you neglected the gospel today, my friend? Do you live like it doesn't matter? Have you rejected the gospel? Have you rejected the gospel today? Maybe you said, I wish that preacher would shut up. I wish he would move on. There's other things we can talk about. I'm really bored with salvation. Can you give me something deeper? Yeah, hell. mystical realms and just come right down to this planet and say people are going to hell every day 
I don't know what's going to happen this morning because I know we've had some pretty intense altar calls over the, over the last couple of weeks and I know there have been many people that have come to Christ and I have been dealing with some internal things because I've been saying, God, I, I want to get people saved. I just don't want to get people to come to the front. I don't want to get people to make a decision. I don't want to, I, I want people to have true conversions. I want, you see, you see, you not only, you not only get forgiveness, but you get justified. You get regenerated. It's a spiritual experience. The most, the greatest miracle of all. Is that I can come into a building like this lost and undone and not knowing God and leave and being his son or daughter. In a moment of faith and experience. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.